Well, manuscript preaching is not one of my gifts, but that's what I have to do today for the conference. And so what we're going to talk about today is the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, one night, one of my nephews decided to come to my house. You know, it was, a very, it was very, very late. And it was around midnight. And when he came to my house, he just started pounding on my door and just ringing my doorbell like someone who was crazy, right? And so I'm, I'm more of a night person, so at that time, I, you know, I, at nighttime, I usually work, and I usually work better at night so, time, so I, I wasn't asleep yet. I wasn't asleep yet, so I was still in my house, in my home office, just working upstairs, and when he started pounding on my door, it did scare the heck out of me. So I went down, down the stairs and, you know, to look through the peeping hole on that door, and I saw him, he was standing there, but I have no idea it was him. All I saw was this tall, tall, skinny guy standing outside my door. And this was a very, very cold night. And so he had this big old jacket on him that he zipped all the way up to his neck. And his face was also all covered up with a scarf. And so I was a little bit scared, and I looked down at his hands to see if he had any weapons. And I saw that all he had, all I saw that all he had was a 12-pack of Diet Pepsi in his hands, which I found to be very, very strange this late at night. So I was thinking to myself, you know, this guy is either a homeless man who wandered into my neighborhood, or he's trying to rob me with that 12-pack of Pepsi. <laughs> so after pounding on my door, after pounding on my door a few times and ringing the doorbell, and after I didn't answer, he started knocking on my window, which made the whole thing that much more creepier. And so I decided, you know, I decided to turn on the lights just to let him know that I was inside the house. And once I turned on the lights, he yelled out in a, you know, in his cracking teenage voice, uncle, it's me. Open the, uh, open the door. It's cold here. And so that was sure a relief for me. And I opened the door. I opened the door and he walked in. He removed the scarf from his face and he sat down on the couch. He placed his 12-pack of Diet Pepsi on the carpet by his feet. I sat down on the couch right across from him with a little coffee table in between us. And I looked at him, and he looked very, very depressed that night. So I jokingly said to him, did you get a girl pregnant? And I said that because it's typical. It's typical in the mom culture that when you want to marry a girl, you'll go to your uncle's house with a 12-pack of soda, and ask your uncle to go with you to talk to the girl's family. So he didn't even smile when I joked around with him. And all he said to me on, you know, that night was, Uncle, I'm running away from my parents. I need you, I need you to drive me to the bus station. And so I said, okay. But before I do that, I need to know what's going on. Can you share what's going on with me? So all of a sudden he started crying. And I sat there for another five minutes or so, just waiting for him to stop crying. And once he was done, he started talking about his parents. He started talking about his parents, how they didn't understand him and how difficult life was for him, and so forth and so forth. And so I counseled him a little bit, used my pastoral counseling skills at that time, counseled him a little bit, talked to him a little bit, spoke to him about life, spoke to him about my faith, and I also shared my own personal struggles with him when I was about the same age that he was. And so I talked to him for about an hour and a half to two hours. And afterwards, I invited him to sleep at my house. 
And I told him that I would drive him to the bus station in the morning, if, if by morning time, if he still wants to go. And he looked up at me and he said to me, Uncle, you know, no one has ever taught me the things that you just taught me. No one has ever said to me the things that you have said to me. And so I think I'll just go home now and I'll just go talk, talk it out with my parents. So he asked me to drive him home and he said, can you drive me home, Uncle? And of course, that was music to my ears because I had no intentions whatsoever of driving him to the bus station in the morning. So, yeah, I was just trying to stall him until I came up with another plan. And so I told him, well, you know, can I call your parents first to let them know that you're safe and that I'm taking you home? And so he agreed to it. So I called them just to assure them that he was okay. And so on that night, I drove him home and I told his parents that he's going through some hard times, so not to say too much to him and just give him some space, allow him to sleep through the night before they talk to him. You know, when we look at relationships such as these, relationships between parents and children, they're often very, very complex issues that many times need intervention and reconciliation. But this isn't unique to only parents and children relationships. All types of human relationships are often very, very complex. Husbands and wives often has, have issues. There is no marriage that has no struggle. That's why, we many t- that's why we, as pastors, many times we always recommend some sort of premarital counseling to prepare the bride and the groom. And we often see in movies and we often read in storybook novels of a romance that's oftentimes unreal. Yet these love stories often become our expectations. And when we find out that marriages isn't a romance novel, our marriages often fall apart because of these unreal expectations. We look at our country and we also see a very divided country now. A country that is more divided now than in any recent memory that I've ever had. We have polarizing political groups tugging at us from every single direction. Oftentimes, it's hard for me as a person to oftentimes identify myself with any political group. Many times I just don't feel that there's any current political group that can really express who I am. The only thing that I can, that I find that can truly, truly express who I am is Christianity. And so that's where I usually find my identity. But I do know that many people in this country, many people in this country find their identities with political groups. And for these, for these reasons, we're often easily divided by our political leaders. I see American politics no different than the Hmong clan structure where your clan is never wrong. And it's always the other clan's fault. And it's something that I find to be ingenuous and something that I've tried my whole life to try to get away from. Because I've seen how it has broken up churches, how it has broken up families, and how it has broken up communities. In the Hmong culture itself, in the Hmong community itself, I'm often ridiculed because I don't don't play by the so-called clan rules. But at the same time, that's also something that appeals me to others because they trust that I can be objective and will not put my clan or any clan above the other. And then we come and we take a look at our church. We come and we take a look at our United Methodist Church. As someone who grew up in the United States and have been influenced by Western thoughts, my heart cries out for those of the LGBTQ plus community who are feeling excluded and discriminated against by the church. But at the same time, I also live in a conservative cultural community 
where my parents and many of my elders and community leaders share the very same thoughts as our brothers and sisters in Africa and overseas. And so what they say is not foreign to me. And while many of them remain silent, I know that any changes in the, social, uh, in the sexual ethics of the church will result in a mass exodus of many ethnic minority groups in the UMC, as well as the loss of our Hmong ministries throughout the world. So I'm someone who lives in both worlds. I'm someone who walks around with many conflicting worldviews on my mind, trying to sort through these different conflicting worldviews is not a very easy task. It takes a lot of patience, it takes a lot of wisdom, and oftentimes it takes a lot of tears. So what do we do? What do we do when relationships such as these are broken? Are solutions found in demonizing one another, which is often the strategy that I see being used in our society? We tend to love to hate each other. Our strategy is often to try and tear each other down shame each other, and intimidate one another, one another into submission rather than to understand, reconcile, and build. The more that we as a culture believe that religion is a thing of the past, and we move away from spiritual things towards secular, worldly things, we begin to see things only from a worldly perspective and no longer from a spiritual and godly perspective. So we appeal to worldly ideas to get our ways. But the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, and this way he means from a worldly point of view, we do so no longer. In Paul's time, the world was seen through the lens of human philosophy and through that point of view. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was trying to move his culture from this philosophy, from this human philosophy, towards a spiritual and godly worldview. In our days, we're moving in the opposite direction. We're moving away from a Christian, spiritual, and godly point of view towards a more and more secular culture that appeals to a worldly point of view. And no wonder we are so polarizing. No wonder we are so confused. And no, no wonder we are living in such chaotic, chaotic times. And so we need to be reminded of the godly point of view. And Paul, when Paul simply saw Jesus Christ through a worldly point of view, we have to ask ourselves, what, was his, what were his actions at that time? We see that when we, he was simply seeing people from a worldly point of view, we're seeing Christ from a worldly point of view, he was going around persecuting Christians. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to verse 2, it says, Meanwhile, Saul, who is Paul, was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which means Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. But you see, even though the Apostle Paul saw things from a worldly point of view, his teacher Gamaliel saw things differently than he did. He was Paul's teacher and a very well-respected man among the Pharisees. And so instead of just focusing on the worldly things, on the worldly view, he saw things from a godly perspective. 
That's why he said in Acts chapter 5, verse 38 through verse 39, leave these men, by these men he's referring to the disciples, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But it, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So instead of persecuting the disciples, Gamaliel says we are to trust in God. And this is the very first point in reconciliation. It is, to put, uh, it is to put our faith and trust in God. It is the willingness to turn away from this worldly point of view and trust in a godly, godly view. Jacob and Esau, two brothers, they also hated each other. Even from the beginning in the womb, we see that these twin brothers were already fighting against one another. Eventually, Jacob had to leave home because of this. He stole his, brother's, his brother Esau's blessings and birthrights. And towards the end, Jacob had to return home, so there was a need for him to reconcile with his brother. But before they can be reconciled, Jacob had to wrestle with God all night long, even to the point that he was crippled by God. And it was only after that that the, the relationship between he and his brother was restored. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to verse 21, the theme here is reconciliation. And why do I say that? Because the word appears five times here in these verses. And what this verse means, what this verse is talking about, is it is talking about something that, has, that is meant to be together. But yet we have somehow broken it, and we need to restore it. In verse 18 it says, He has committed to us the message or the ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, this is what we are to do as Christians. It is our job, it is our duty to, to reconcile these broken relationships. And we are not going to go in to cause more division. That's not what we do as Christians. We are not to go in to cause more pain. We are not to go in to cause more hurt or more tears. We are not to take part of all the hate and divisive speeches that we often hear. Rather, as Christians, it is our job and our duty to find a way, a solution, to help reconcile broken relationships. And this is what it means when the scriptures say, say that we are ambassadors of Christ as though God is making his appeal through us. He is, God is appealing through us as his church to make reconciliation, to bring this message to the world. We are to make everything new just as scriptures says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The new here doesn't mean that we are to come up with a new gospel. It doesn't mean that we are to invent a message or a new standard or a new religion. The new here means reconciliation with God. It means a rebirth, a new birth of all things. It means that there is a second chance in God, a third chance a fourth chance, and on and on and on. And God, there's always a chance, a chance to put the past behind us all. All the hurt, all the tears, all the difficulties to start all over again. There's always an opportunity in Christ, a million opportunities to make things right. If we fail, we can always try again. As we see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 starts out by saying, 
all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So all of this starts from God. If there is going to be any kind of restoration, any kind of reconciliation to broken relationships, we must seek him. We must seek him. We must seek his will. Not the will of the world and not our will. The message of the gospel isn't about self-fulfillment. It is not about seeking fulfillment to our own personal will. It is not about seeking fulfillment for our own personal agenda. But it is about self-denial to seek the will of God. Jesus says, I did not come to do my will, but to do the will of my Father. And so we must be able to say the same thing as Christians. We are not here to do our will, but we are here to do the will of our Father. It is only in this that we can find peace and restoration and reconciliation. If we're not careful, if we only continue to seek our own will, the scripture teaches us that we will devour each other until we are all gone. I've seen it my whole life. People, men, women who serve in the church, those who spend their whole life fighting each other, and I see that it has never amounted to anything. Today, many of them, many of my elders, they have passed away. And yet families are still broken. Churches are still in chaos. Communities are still living in poverty. And so life is way too short for us to dwell upon the negative things. It's not good for our physical health, nor is it good for our spiritual health. It's not good for our relationship with God. First John chapter 4 says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or a sister, is a liar. For whomever does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So you see, so you see, we cannot even love God if we do not love each other. God says it's impossible. These are not the words of your pastor, This is not the word of Pastor Chang, but these are the words of the Holy Spirit. So this Lent season, instead of focusing on things that we are not going to do, let us also focus on things that we are to do and things that we can do. Let's focus on um, restoring our relationships. Maybe Maybe this is the relationship between you and your spouse. Maybe it's a relationship between you and your children. Maybe it's a relationship between you and someone in the church. It can be any relationship, any relationship that is currently broken. Let us be the one to take the initiative to reach out and restore these broken relationships. There's a story. There's a story of a father and his younger son. They started having disagreements, and so the younger son started to hate his father. He hated him so much that he decided to move far, far away. 20 to 30 years passed by. The youngest son didn't have the resources to take care of himself medically, and so he became very, very ill. Word got around, and the father heard about the news. And so the father did everything that he could to find out the contact information for his son so he can call him. He was finally able to find the information, and when he called his son, he said to his son, Son, please come back home. Let us put the past behind us. I know you're very, very ill now, but I have the 
resources and the money to provide you the care that you need. The son began to weep. And he continued to weep. He said to his father, Father, I would come home. But I'm so ill that I can't even get up from my bed. I'm stuck here and I don't know what to do. His father answered, that's okay. Just stay where you're at and I'll send your older brother to come and bring you home. And so their older brother went and he brought his younger brother home. And they were able to provide care for the younger brother and he became better. This is the message of the gospel for all of us. The ultimate broken relationships that we all have is the relationship with God. We all, like sheep, have strayed away from him. Sin has put us in its chains. It's a disease that doesn't allow us to escape and go back home. And so our Heavenly Father, God, he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to come and rescue us. And so as we approach Easter, as we approach Easter, we will be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our older brother. It is on this day that he rose from the dead and reconciled us to our Heavenly Father. And what an amazing thing it is. So why don't we, as Christians, why don't we today do the same thing for others? Why don't we meet them where they're at and reconcile and restore our relationship with them? Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. You've done all that you can to restore us back to you. And so, Father, we pray that during this Lent season that we will be able to do the same thing with each other. No matter which relationship it is that may be broken in our lives, it may be a parent, it may be a, a child, it may be someone in the church, it may be an old friend. Father, we ask that you give us the heart to restore these relationships, to reach out to each other, and just be able to love each other again, to be able to restore each other again, Father. And so, Father, we lift everything and everyone up to you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.